It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's hot time. We had a hot time. What a week. Oh my gosh. I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of irons in the fire these days. I mean, I feel like I'm waving at myself coming and going, and I guarantee I've hit the snooze button more times this week than I did the entire month of September. One of the things that I do notice, though, is I find that when my own life gets too overwhelming, I enjoy focusing on somebody else's. I was really grateful this week to hear back and connect with my new friend Wayne and take a trip down Prop 215 memory lane with him. Do you believe in serendipity? I sure as shit do. At the New West Summit I was talking about last week, during one of the panel discussions, I found myself sitting just in front of Wayne. I had no clue who this man was, and I can't remember for the life of me what the topic of discussion was, but I overheard him say to the lovely woman sitting next to him, I gotta say something. I'm used to the majority of old white men and felt sure he had something crotchety and white to say. So I felt certain I was going to disagree with him, and I already didn't like this guy. So he got up and he stood in line for the microphone, and I'm listening to the Q&A, but my attention keeps going back to him. What was he going to complain about? And then he opened his mouth, and he talked of his relationship with cannabis to treat HIV, and he painted a picture of cannabis for wellness and community that gave me chill bumps. When he walked back over to our seat, I turned around, I put my hand on his knee, and I thanked him for sharing his story. 
While he and I were exchanging pleasantries, he told me how cute I was. (laughs) Another woman stood up and took the mic. And I'm listening to Wayne, but I can kind of hear her in the other part of my ear saying, in case you don't know who that man is, it's Wayne Justman. And he's the very first patient in the state of California to ever receive their cannabis recommendation. And I just stopped. Like, mind grapes blown. Like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? That is some epic trivia style shit, right? Like, I just happened to be sitting in front of patient number one. I immediately handed him my business card and told him that I wanted to hear his story. So on Tuesday, I showed up to the cross streets of Wayne's house, and I started scanning the street addresses to find his place. And I'm thinking I'm on the 500 block, but then all of a sudden I see this number 900, and I'm completely confused. I'm like, okay, I thought I was good with directions, so I make my way back to the intersection And I'm sitting at the light and I'm reading the signs and I hear this man talking next to me and I turn and look and it's Wayne and he's standing there smoking joint talking to a couple of his neighbors. So right there on the corner, there he was, serendipity again. So Wayne walked me down and welcomed me into his home and I did just as I'd promised myself And I got casually baked with Wayne, and we just had a chat. There was no agenda. I just wanted to talk about whatever was on his mind. So here you go. This is that. All right. So do you want to smoke my I'll tell you what. You you smoke there because I've got got three different. Now, this is a real smoker. I've got a joint here. I've got a pen here, and I've got a, a, a thing here. What I like to do when I'm sitting here at home doing some work, I like to go with the different options. You know, mm-hmm. I hit this for a little bit because I was outside smoking this. Then I'll, I like to do different things. And it's the same thing. I don't like to have the same strain time after time after time after time. Well, let's do cookies or great. No. I, for myself, I really like to mix it up. I agree. And I, I really do, like to mix it I, up. I do the same thing. I like to smoke flour in the morning. I hit my pen during the day. And then for my reefer recap, which is technically what this is going to be for me today. There's a you can, there's an ashtray right behind you on that table underneath it right there. Got it. Right there. Why don't you bring that up and awesome. set it up there wherever you want to be. Cut. There you go. Perfect. Good. So, yeah. Good. So, Good. today, this is, I like to smoke right after work, so. May I borrow your lighter so I don't have to dig Please. for mine? Please. I was thinking to myself when I was driving over here, because I typically just like to have casual chats and let the conversation go where it will, but I thought... You know, if there was an early adopter competition, like, you totally won. Like, you're, like, patient number one in California to have their medical license. And I'm like, what a unique perspective. So I'm sure you have a thousand stories, and I um, I want you to share the things that are... <laughs> That's the card there underneath with 215 and hash. You can't get it any better than May that. May I take a picture of that you before I leave? You can take a photo of anything. Okay. No, yeah. take a photo of anything, please. That's awesome. I mean, I there's a lot of... I mean, 
the these listeners. are uh, uh, things that the governor and the assembly have honored me with. Some of the dispensaries, the district attorney. Uh, you see uh, uh, Julian uh, Marley. Those flags came from him. Um, but take a photo of whatever you want to take a photo of, please. That's why I'm kind of happy when folks, you know, can work, uh, you know, they can get over here because this is kind of a unique kind of a situation. And, oh, okay, this is it because a lot of this stuff I can't carry with me. There was a, my birthday party, my 60th birthday party. Every, there was everybody in that party. <laughs> I really mean that. I had the, the Terrence Allen, that district attorney. I had a supervisor there. I had a public defender there. Then I had homeless people there. It's just amazing in the years that I have that I look at here and I have contact with, with these people. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also, too, uh, you know, being homeless one time, I never forget that fact. And I'll say hello to, I'll say hello to a tree that wants to say hello to me. So tell me what happened where you found yourself in that a in cannabis, in, where did I find well, myself? Well, because when, when I no, whenever I'd said earlier, I was working on that little homeless project. Yeah, okay. How uh, I came out here from Washington D.C. I had driven from Arlington, Virginia, out here where I had been doing some work, and I, I, I did some work in Monterey for a while, and then I came up here in San Francisco, and there was a friend that I was staying with. Uh, I didn't know anything in here, and. Whatever I had was in a car, right. and so um, a job interview with the uh, uh, investment company, and um, it was hard to do when I was sleeping out of a car or, or, or not, but, you know, I was one that, you know, I'll get by, I'll try to get by, but it kind of caught up with me, you know, it, it, it really did, and I told my, uh, he said, well, you ever get your feet under you, that's fine, and so I had a little bit of money, and I checked myself into a hotel downtown here for a few days, and I'm watching on television uh, 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 this homeless demonstration, and this is 1987-88, in front of City Hall, and, 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 and you know, nobody's got answers for homeless, I don't care where you are in the country, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you got to go out, you know, I said, well, shit, I, I got one more day here, and where am I going to go? I'm going out there. And so what few things I had, uh, I headed out to, uh, I headed out there to, to City Hall. They had the homeless demonstration on like one side of the area and food dot bombs with Keith McHenry. I'm not sure, you know, it was, the problem was not only do you house the homeless, but we won't want to feed them. Right. So we had a double header. And of course, Art Agnos was the mayor at that time. And it did not look good for the city to have homeless people uh, living across the street from City Hall. That did not look good. Right. And, so, and so what happened quickly, it became a political issue. Obviously, with feeding the homeless and housing the homeless, but you got them right outside. What, a, what an eyesore that was for the city. And they were pressed there on an everyday basis. And what made it interesting for myself is because I had a little bit of a, a gift to gab and, and all, you know, I kind of organized folks and said, hey, this is, let's try to go with this and let's try to go at that, earning me <coughs> the unofficial title, title of mayor of Camp Agnos. Awesome. <laughs> but, but, but here was the key. We had supervisors that would come out and check. Terrence Hallinan was a supervisor. It was a district uh, uh, they were district-wide at that time, not 
we, we have today. And so I got, Terrence came out every day. We walked the, the, the perimeter, how are things, let me know what's going on. We try to get this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Angela Aliola was the mayor, uh, was on the board of supervisors then. That got my foot into City Hall, developing a personal relationship. It's one thing to be homeless. That doesn't mean you're an idiot. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. It doesn't, you could go through things. And, and I was really fortunate that the people who had met me out there were not going to quote that and say, well, you can't listen to him. You know, he's on his way down or he's lost or anything like that. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't have to go through that. And I was really I was really fortunate with that. And that's why, as you see, Terrence, our, our district attorney, has been my friend for 30-some-odd years. Uh, same thing with Angela. Uh, it was important that those... To work on those issues, homeless and all, because after I left that, I moved into a single democracy hotel. Well, hell, I stayed in the shelters, so I stayed in the homeless, uh, the homeless shelters, and then single democracy hotel. I had a little taste of everything. Yeah, and so then, where in all of that, when did you find out that you were HIV positive? 1988, July 12, 1988. I'm not sure that everybody else can remember days, but that's a day I'll never forget. And I was down on Mission Street, and they had uh, uh, facilities there that you could donate plasma. Mm -hmm. Okay, you could get $10, $12, and in those days, $10, $12 is a whole lot of thing. So a friend of mine, I, I was staying in a hotel, said, listen, come on down, we can get some money. And so I went down, and they, they, uh, I, did, uh, uh, I did the draw. And then I think a week later, you could come in and said, anyway, I came in a week later, and um, when my name came up, a lady called me in small office. She said, uh, please, we need to visit with you. And she said uh, that the blood draw that they took from me last week indicated that I was HIV positive. They would suggest, however, that I go uh, to General Hospital or somewhere else to get a second reading. I did that. I did that the very next day, and it took a few days later. And sure, sure enough, I found out that I was H that I was HIV positive. Is this going to kill me? I've been here less than a year. Who do I go to? What do I, I don't have a doctor. And what, what did you know anything about HIV? No, no. It wasn't even televised then. That's like no, when... Well, Reagan wouldn't say anything about it. You wouldn't, not you, but society doesn't want to hug us. Some people want to put us on a damn island. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, because what we as human beings, and the older I get, what we don't know scares the hell out of people. It's exactly right. It scares the hell out of people. And even when they find out that their fear has no basis... They're still scared. Mm -hmm. They're still scared. You're Muslim, you're a Jew, oh, you're gay, you're that. What the hell? Come on, give us all a break on this. That was, that was an issue then. And, of course, not only am I HIV positive, I'm in San Francisco and everybody's dying of this shit. Yeah. Oh, real good here. Real good here. And I'm I was 41 years old, something like that. 41, you, know? you were living in the hotel yeah. and you were working. Did you, had a, did you have that I was working with, with an investment company right. that I had to tell, you know, it's just because he knew one thing, it just, you know, I'm half asleep at a meeting or something like that. And that just isn't me. You know, and I'm one of these guys. If I can't do it 100%, I'm going to do it. You know, so I went to the side. He said, I'd never guess that. It just worked out as it worked out. Mm -hmm. I applied for SSI. And once I got on, on that, that now gave me money to live in the hotels. And what is that? What, SSI? Uh-huh. 
Disability, social, there's a disability. Okay. All right, you get disability. Uh, if, if you have something that a physician terms that you're disabled and not able to work. Copy that. Yada, okay. yada, 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 yada. Right. So I get that provided me uh, money there. And this was in about, um, well, like I said, uh, that got me there. But I, I, I tried to learn and go to as many uh, places uh, to learn about the virus. And one of the things that I noticed about Dennis's place, 1444 and 184 Church Street, mm-hmm. I probably learned more about HIV positive and things like that than I did from doctors. And my doctors are great. I've got great men. However, you're HIV positive. He's HIV positive. She's a. I'm talking to people yeah. who have it. Hey, what, what do you feel like in the morning? Now, do you take Zarek? How often do you, you know, we're talking about, do you have this? And yet you're learning. And well, where should I go for the, well, Who do you know? Those simple right. questions. You're creating a community. That we had to go. Those. And that was one of the, that was one of the greatest strengths about a cannabis dispensary. Not only did we dispense cannabis, when you needed a shoulder to cry on, shoulder was there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't afraid of you. Because it could be the same person that's HIV positive, just like you. You needed a hug, I'll hug you. I'll hug you. I'll hug you. At 184 Church Street on, on Church and Market, Dennis's first small place, then we moved into 1444 Market Street in 1994. We dispensed cannabis, but we also dispensed a lot of love. Because sometimes when you came through the door, you didn't know which one you needed most. I feel like that now sometimes. <laughs> you didn't know which one you needed most. Uh, it, what's unfortunate now is our basic society and the voters and our governments and all these regulatory agencies have got it so screwed up, so screwed up on how we make cannabis, this plant, available to someone who wants to use it for whatever purpose. Tennessee, for an example. I was reading several months ago. They're going to allow a patient the opportunity to grow. Now, stay seated when I... Two plants. What? What the fuck? Excuse me. Yeah. Am I or another patient going to do with two plants? How much is that two plants going to uh, uh, provide for me? What happens what? if my building catches on fire? You follow. What me? happens if you're an amateur and you get mold? <laughs> like, you know I mean? and, and, and and also too something that truly bothers me, really bothers me. Where is it said that growing cannabis is such an easy thing to do? I know. You just don't put it in the window and and add water to it. It's freaking amazing. But they, I mean, how can one state? say two, and someone else say six to eight. And then, of course, we out here in California, we needed Parker to be our mother, and here's 60 pages of Prop 64. This is what I need to know on how how to use this. I can't figure it out myself. Yeah, I don't know how to use this pot in my hand. 60 pages, and then... Hey, it's present-day Joe with a little side note. So at this point in the conversation, Wayne turns to some visual storytelling. So picture a joint and a pipe and a vape pen sitting on the table as he goes through this next little part. And I still haven't gotten the answer yet. Damn, I don't... could be this because it's used. Medical? Then if this is medical, that has to be recreational. However, 
if this is recreational, no, that could be medical. You follow my silly quads? Well, right. And so Are that's we what freaking it, nuts? Well, that's the whole point of, of why I have these conversations is because I am an evangelist of it's cannabis for wellness. Whether you mean for it to be good for you or you just want it to party, it doesn't matter. It's good for you all the time. And so it's, it's one beautiful plant with a bazillion different uses and that's all it should be. And why should someone else care if I use that? One of the things I learned as a very young man about someone else's opinion from mom and dad, if they don't sleep in your bed or if they don't pay your bills, the hell with them. Yeah, that's that's a good rule. And, and My dad said opinions are like assholes. assholes. Everybody, Everybody got one, one, but some are a little bit more smelly. Yeah, I, would say, <laughs> I try to be nice. But, but, but that's the point. I mean, that everybody is losing out in, in cannabis discussion right now because the federal government has not given us the leeway to reschedule that. So, in other words, I'm fighting this fight with, like, one hand behind my back. We, oh, it's going to bring crime and it's going to kill you and not good for the for the kids. However, uh, um, uh, every 19 minutes, about uh, three people an hour die of overdose of prescriptions. Well, so, but the, you know, those things that you said, those are those big scary things people think and they talk about, but there is evidence to the contrary. So we do have data from Colorado and Washington and Oregon showing that Teen use goes down. Crime goes down. Driving like, down. Yes. So now we are getting to a point where we can call out the big fat pink elephant in the room. But some people still don't want to understand that. Just here in Sunset, a couple of weeks ago, the Apothecarium, who have two wonderful facilities, mm-hmm. they applied for a, a license out in the Sunset. A heavily uh, oriental, et cetera, et cetera, oh, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been following that story. <laughs> it's a joke. If they come in here, we're going to have crime. This this. This cannabis dispensary is going to have crime. Well, we've got over 30 in the city. That's not happening in any of those locations. All right? Um, It will reduce the property values uh, of of the area around you. Well, what's more harmful, an empty, rundown building or a business that's an operation? And then, of course, this whole shot. What about the kids? You know, I got a degree in education. I taught high school for 12 years when I graduated college. What about the kids? You teach them. Yes. You teach them. And now that we have uh, the opiate epidemic and things like this in pharmacies, I want my kid to know what the hell it is about drugs. Mm-hmm. All of them. I want you to know about just the same thing. I want you to know, know about alcohol and the use of tobacco. And I also, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I'll teach you about sex, too. So I'm say not, sex and respecting your body and respecting other people's bodies. Yeah, I don't have, there's something wrong with me because I'm not hung up on a lot of things, you know. Yeah. Well, you can't talk about sex, you can't talk about, well, in those situations when you say you can't talk about it, that's when I think you must. Yeah, you I know? agree. Anyone now from senior in high school to kindergarten have grown up with medical cannabis and cannabis dispensaries. That has been just like a, a, a tree, a mailbox. Well, here, here, here. Well, yes, I grew here, up in here. Texas. Okay, yeah, but so, I, I'm, I'm sorry. But, but yes, in also this in Texas, may I say this about you in Texas, you heard about us. Medical cannabis. Right. You did? Of course. You, oh, All that was yeah. happening when I was in right. college. You, you did hear about this. We're not going to allow it because we're white Christians. <laughs> Especially the ones I really the white male Christians. I'm so... I'll let that go. 
I feel you. Anyway. Um, so let's talk a little bit about when you first discovered that cannabis was the magic bullet for what you're, you were dealing it with. It was hard for me to get cannabis when I was first here because I didn't know the streets. I didn't know anybody. I made a lot of extra money, too. Uh, but I had a friend that lived above me who went to 194 Church Street. That's how I got taken there the first time. And uh, because I'm taking Zarek and AZT. Uh, which in those days, that's the only thing you had. And you didn't know if they were going to kill you or if the virus was going to kill you. You wake up in the morning, it's just so, uh, something's got to settle me down. Something's got to give me an appetite. Something has to make me feel better. Mm-hmm. And, and I found uh, when I smoked some herb with a, a friend of mine in uh, a couple of floors above me at the hotel, I said, you know, this, isn't, this helps a little bit. Uh, I went over to 194 Church Street, maintained a low profile because I was new. I felt a new boy in the block, and uh, I had nothing to do with the place, et cetera, et cetera, and I saw the people, et cetera, et cetera. And this was nice to have this hookup because I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to run the streets and look for cannabis, and I didn't know uh, Dolores Park. You know, I'm a new boy in blocks, ever. So I didn't know where to go mm-hmm. and what to do. And I was not going to ask people anything of, of where to go. But like I said, when I found out about uh, how cannabis, and I started, I smoked cannabis when I was 28. Now I'm 73, so that's about 40 some odd years that I've smoked cannabis. It was always for medical reasons. Hey, geez, I just want to chill. Yeah. I mean, what the hell is wrong with that? Yeah. Or I just want to put myself to sleep. That, 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 you know, mm-hmm. I'm not out robbing banks or doing silly things at some other et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, 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 no. That's exactly what I wanted to do, you know. And, and so I found that it could help. And having done that for myself and, you know, what, what we know about this cannabis herb is a lot of bullshit. Whenever you were discovering it, you were uh, like, wait a minute. Yes. This war on drugs is bullshit. Like, this is. Yes, and, good then, stuff. and then also, too, during that time, what's telling me even more about bullshit was that, uh, from what they did in the late 30s, Harry Anslinger and, and, and that group up through the 50s, 60s, 70s. Oh, shit, they lied us into a few wars. Oh, we got segregation going on. In other words, there was. This America, this America likes to keep fires going so you don't know which one you want to attend or put out. And and if we can kind of confuse and separate, uh, which I think that this is happening now, if we can confuse and separate, we're going to be better off for this. And, and and I thought, you know, our government is lying about this. And then when I when I really did some own research, show me the medical research that you show me that. Mm-hmm. Now what you could show me is how our government use uh, military people, not to their knowledge, on various drugs, it said, you know, gave them psychedelics, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't tell them these things. Well, you know, why do you think our government's going to be okay with things? And what I really like now is the opiate epidemic. And I made the comment online. It's interesting how the white community is speaking about the opioid uh, problems now that it's in their community, but how silent they were when crack was infiltrated in the black community. Yeah, that is. Think about that point. Yeah, think about that. Again, it's a white person's. It's not surprising. No, it's not. But that's just that's true. But that's us white people. If they don't think that they have a privilege, (laughs) their lack of knowledge tells me they they have privilege. Oh yeah, your lack of knowledge. You know, there there are times when I will move through life, and I'm like, 
I know that nothing is going to happen to me right now because I am a white woman. Doesn't make it right, but I sure as fuck take advantage of it when I need to. I was a white college student during Vietnam. Think about that. All these other black kids that didn't have anything going for them, they were getting, <laughs> they were getting drafted. But I had a 2S card in my wallet. So when I realized that, and then uh, Dennis had moved to uh, 1444 Market Street. It really expanded what, what, what could be done there. And so uh, I went in. Dennis was happened to be at the door, and I said to him, I said, hey, I said, uh, when you get some time, let's you want to hook up. I said, I think I can help you, and you could probably help me. Maybe about a half hour later, Dennis comes up, and we're on the third floor, and the table is something like that, and he sit down. And so we're about a half an hour. I break down to him what, what my situation is, a college graduate, the government experiences I've had pretty much in my background and my business, et cetera, et cetera. I said, I see you're trying to do something with dispensaries, and you want to put a proposition to do this. I said, let me see if we can... Uh, I can work on that with you. And here, Dennis and I are now, 30 years later, very, 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 very good friends. Very good. And we, we've got all of this background behind us. The cannabis dispensary, the, the farm that we had, Proposition 215. And then when he closed, I opened 350 to Visit And now the, the, the thing that uh, San Francisco, and as it goes by, when the words medical and marijuana are put together, we have to think of San Francisco and the AIDS epidemic because if it was not for either one of those, we were screwed. And who put the AIDS epidemic and cannabis together with Dennis Perron? That's factual information. And we were, we were fortunate at that time then to, to have a dispensary where, where people could come. And most of our people came from uh, single robbery hotels, you know, HIV people, AIDS. I mean, understand, what is 1994? We don't, we don't have people driving in from Iran or things like that and cars and, hey, we're, you know, I want to come in and I want to buy an ounce or something like that. Yeah. We had $3 bags. <laughs> we had three, the, 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 the most expensive bag we had was $20, and that was, that was an eighth of, uh, of uh, 5A and, and 3 Star. That, that, and that was also Brownie Mary that time of her making She was there. And- yeah, yeah. Brownie Murray had gotten started in the '80s when the AIDS epidemic hit, but her and her and Dennis were such good friends, and she she would come to 194 Church Street. And so when we uh, when we opened 1444 Market Street, she was there on a daily basis. It gave her a, a place to go, and 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 people loved to see her. I, there, there was just people loved to see her, and she loved to see them. She her kids. Yeah. Her kids. And if anybody knows about Brownie Mary, something like that, and what did she call the people around her, the people she took care of? And they said, her kids. Then, you know, they were there during that time. And she loved it. Uh, of course, she had been arrested a few times and, and harassed. She would never figured that out. What the hell is this about? You know? Uh, and what what bothers me now is the Proposition 64, Proposition 19. Uh, I've got a... Uh, uh, a film of Brownie Mary up on a, a, trailer, a truck back talking about rules and regulations back in his 80s and they're all bullshit she had a mouth on her Yeah, she had a mouth on her and so she oh, felt yeah. they were all bullshit she, we didn't need these re- re- rules and regulations and, and, and but this is I don't know uh, so many activists were for 64 and people wanted legislation but at what price? 
At what price? Because right now, growers aren't sure if they want to hook up with all this stuff. Right. Or if they don't want to hook up with all this yeah. stuff. Dispensaries, are sure, should we hook up with this stuff or should we not? It encourages more black marketing thought. I'm not going to say it expands, but hey, geez, if we can't do this, we're going to find it somewhere else. Especially on the grower side of things. Yep. It's less... It- it, it's less feasible for that to even happen now on the brick and mortar and delivery side of things. Like it's it's just harder to pull something like that off. I um, reviewed sixty four last couple of days. I didn't see anything in there about what happens in case of a fire. Yeah, <coughs> I didn't see anything there about crop, about crop insurance. My bottom line is all these people that are getting burned out have to eat it. Yeah. They have to eat it. Did anyone who's setting down these guidelines or sat down and talked to these fools ever come with that perspective? Well, I mean, if they're saying we're going to treat it as a a farmed plant, then they should have because my family has a ranch in West Texas and we can sure should have crop insurance. Thank you. These people in, in Santa Rosa and all up in here where the fire is, they have to eat the loss. Then here's another question. What about the ground? What do you do with the ground? All those ashes. And as a farm boy coming out of Iowa, I'd say you have to six, eight inches of ground out of there because you've got all of this burnt stuff. You can't, what are you going to grow in that stuff? Yeah. There's no nourishment there. There's going to, yeah, there's going to have to be a cycling Think, out That's process. my point. You, you either don't grow for a few years or you grow hemp. Mm-hmm. Which will take it out, or or you just scrape the, the surface about six eight inches. Well, and the other thing that I've been talking to a couple of my friends, I'm like, we need to right now buy some outdoor in bulk because there's about to be a huge, yeah, there is. you know, yeah, sun grown cannabis yeah. shortage in Northern California, and I'm like, I need to stock up. Yeah, yeah, there is. You but there's any, still, huh? Like, if you have any good connects, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. No, I've got, I've got. I've got very good connections. I'm just not let, just let me, Here's the thing. If you have a need, you know where I live, you have my phone number, and I think you have my uh, uh, email address. I do. All right, fine. You so You can't got, hide from me anymore. No, but it's okay. But, so, in other words, <laughs> so, in other words, you have access to me. Yes. So, if you need uh, some kind of a product, uh, if you need outdoor or, or something of this nature, let me know because I'll make some phone calls, and I've got three, four good responsible growers up north. That we're not they were fired up north if they didn't have the fire. They can assist you in whatever part possible. Well, yeah, because that's the other thing is like I want clean, organic stuff, and you know, people that aren't in the industry are not sending their stuff to get it analyzed. And I don't know that I can trust if I were to go out and ask somebody. With these three, the three growers that when you mentioned that, mm-hmm. Jay, Jay, Jerry, and and uh, uh, Laura. Have been friends of the family. When I see the family, mm-hmm. Dennis, myself, I smoke their stuff. I know what their stuff is about. The quality of theirs, and I know the growing and who's growing, etc. It's unfortunate that you say we don't have um, all of our, uh, our, our flowers tested. Uh, we don't have that as yet, but there are not a lot of uh, um, testing sites that are available yet either. Well, and there's not a lot of reliability coming out of the testing sites. Yeah, well, who governs them? Well, you follow what I mean? Yeah. Who sets their standards? They don't have standards. Well, all those th- all those standards, you know, we like to wait till the last minute, so all those standards are being set right now. We're going to, you know, slide in January 1, 2018, and 
I hope it yeah. fucking works. We're not going to know any more January 2, 2018. We're not going to. They're making it so complicated. To, to me, as a, as a grower, here's how I look at it. The grower must be responsible for any type of pollution. Air pollution, water pollution, and ground pollution. We need to set standards, not rules, standards. What is acceptable for this? Because this air, that ground, and that water, we want there for a long time, and we don't want to mess it up. So I think that that's something that growers, not other people, growers need to sit down because I'm not a grower. But these three people that have grown and other people that have done this, that's where I, I, you know, what happened? Hi again, present day Joe jumping in. At this point, I have gone over to um, adjust Wayne's microphone. Turns out these are really good microphones. Are we good? Oh, no, no, you keep talking. Okay. I just, right. you move up and down so much. I don't okay. want it to be raspy sound. Gotcha. You were in a good rant. I can't believe I interrupted that. No, Such because an it, asshole. Huh? You're doing well. Such an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, it reminds me when I was a head coach, coaching in high school. Uh, I need to hire assistant coaches, line coaches. What what sport? Football. In in the 12 years I was there, football, basketball, baseball, and soccer. What did you like the most? Huh? Which sport did you like coaching the most? Oh, geez, I loved them all. I really did. Uh, I I just love competition. I'm big on it. Just like I watch the ball game later on or football. I just love competition. I do too. I I really, really, really do. I love that. I Uh, had to grow out of the, if I can't win, I don't want to play, to where I could be like, you know, mature in competition where I just love to compete. And if you don't win, it sucks. That's that's the point. There's a point I'm at right now. I really don't have favorites. Now, when it was asked about... Uh, who do I want to favor? California, Los Angeles. I'm in California. If but, Houston, but, like if said, Houston wins, I'm not going to drop any moments of sleep. That's fine. Okay. If the Warriors win, if they don't, that's fine. The 49ers got beat yesterday. That's fine. Etc. 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 I was at that game rooting for the Cowboys. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. no, good it for was you. fun for a Cowboys fan. Yeah. And traffic was not bad getting no, out of the stadium because everybody had bailed during the third quarter. It's terrible. It's just a shame. We had good football. But getting back to business, getting back to business, <laughs> the point I was making as a head coach, I had to hire people. So I'm going to hire people that know more about something than I don't. You follow what I mean? Right. Yes. Absolutely. Now, I know a whole hell of a lot about cannabis and things like that. I don't know enough that I feel comfortable as far as growing or plants or something like that. Therefore, I, Mikey Barbetta or uh, uh, Laura or, or Jay, or, I've got people that I can go to. Hey, I've got some questions I can't answer. And, and as far as dispensary, you know, we got the growers taken care of as what I think they should have as standards. Uh, we don't need a piece of paper or license to take it from Humboldt down here to San Francisco. That's silly. And just like what happened in Las Vegas, when they started their recreational things in, in the 1st of July, about 5th or 6th, they were really short, but they had cannabis in, in warehouses about 100 miles outside of Las Vegas. They couldn't get the cannabis from there to there because no one had a permit or license to get yeah. that. Yeah, well, that's because they opened up licensing to the alcohol distributors. Yeah. Well, those are the exact people that don't want cannabis to get big. So it's just, and again, who the hell is making these decisions? I don't need someone to have a piece of paper 
from Humboldt to there. We've done it very, very well for all of these years without complications. I think it just adds more problems, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and it with, also with, adds more costs. Oh, sure it does. Sure it does. And it has to be eaten up by someone and more risk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's stupid. I, I think that there should be an understanding between either the grower or the person that brings in the cannabis. Who's responsible for the testing? Is it me, the dispensary, before I put it out there? Do I send that off? Or you, the grower, that before you sell it to me, you know, well, it's this much CBD, it's this much this, it's this much this. The way I understand it, the grower has to have it tested before it's passed off to the manufacturer. And then the manufacturer then knows what they're getting. They create their product. Then they send that product off to get tested. And then those results come back. And then, so we've we've had to use a distributor for each of those Which points, makes no and sense. then at that point, a distributor <coughs> takes it to the dispensary. So it makes no sense. All those middle people, yeah. it's just it, it, it's remarkable. Uh, people were so hurried. Let's legalize cannabis. Geez, that sounds like a great idea, but at what cost? And the activists and the community have given up too much. And have gone too far. The quicksand has sucked them in. And when when I when I talk to OGs, Dennis, and some of us that have been around for a long time, two fifteen had two hundred fifty one words. Proposition two hundred fifty one words. You kept it simple. Interesting. You kept it simple. And here, people, we need to do this, and let's get the union involved with transportation, and let's unionize this. I've been around politics and legislation from my college days, and that goes back about 50 years. I never saw legislation that had any anything about management. I mean, a labor. I never saw that. And what the hell is this about? And all it was is... I don't know uh, that piece. What huh? is, I don't know that bit. The union has to be driving the, the Teamsters. There were two unions that uh, recently were arguing about who's going to deliver here in California. And then there was the union as far as we're going to have the dispensaries unionized. That left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. But I knew who put that stuff in there. So It all feels personal when you've been involved as long as you have, huh? Well, yeah, it does because it doesn't have to be this complicated. And I saw the goodness that we had in these dispensaries. Geez, you could come in, you had chaos on you, and you didn't shower that day, you didn't have any money. But yeah, probably two of the people at your table was were the same way. Go see Wynn or go see Dennis. They'll give you something. What are they going to do? Sit in our single rock we see hotels in the 90s and look at the walls waiting for them to die? Well, and I, I see the humanity in the cannabis space here. That was different. It was a different time. But I see I see the good stuff happening here, too. People that grow and, and give to the people in their but collective. But the passion's going to be uh, taken out. What? No, I've got some of my friends talking about that right now. I didn't know that. It's silly. People's ignorance about the about the plant, and then uh, negotiating what's good for the grower and for the uh, patient. Now, were you here when uh, Kevin Newsom uh, put his Blue Ribbon Commission together? I'm, uh, I'm okay. relatively new to okay. California, right. So, right. and and most people that listen aren't from California. Right. So tell us, what is that? Well, what was interesting about our mayor, who at that time then was the lieutenant governor. All right, he's now the lieutenant governor right. of, of right. the state of California, and he wants to put a blue ribbon commission together on how to decide before two fifteen what to do 
about recreational cannabis and medical cannabis. Now, he's got quite a history, having been the mayor here for a couple of terms, and he was here. Uh, he's been in these dispensaries. He and I have had many meetings. He knows exactly what it's all about. Now, this Blue Ribbon Commission wasn't green at all. you got the Cancer Society, a heart, heart Society, uh, what are they? Probably the MS This society. and that, and that and this, and all the title people. Do you have a grower in the room? No. Do you have a patient in? No. Have a dispense? No. So in other words, these theorists that are making these decisions don't have practical information. You read 64, and that just comes out as a glare. What the hell is practical about all of these unnecessary guidelines? And 60 pages of it? What would you, what's your suggestion? What would you, what, what are you telling people should be done different at this point? If there's one thing I'm trying to tell folks is we need to restrict and revisit legislation. The problem of it is, uh, well, people were going about 64 years so ago. We can always change it later. That's harder. Really? But yeah. R- really? Change it later. Your point's well taken. It's a whole lot harder. And you've got a different audience. You may have different assembly people, different senators. Now you have a different et cetera, et cetera. That made no sense. But again, one of the things I found out about activists, they want to, gee, we should make cannabis legal. But their political experience and practical experience are somewhat limited. I'm a cannabis activist. And I've got some pretty deep knowledge, but I I'm am... talking about some of my colleagues who opened dispensaries here in the last 15 years. Okay. The reason why I say that, for like 10 of those years, I tried to put what I would call a, a business, a marijuana businessman's association. If you're a dispenser, operator, hey, listen, let's meet once a month, go over common issues, issues in your neighborhood, see how it can be helpful. I couldn't do that. Couldn't couldn't put them together. Well, they saw one another's competition. I don't. There was an interesting study in this book that I was reading called Stretch. And it was this mentality that the man discovered among all of these food truck drivers. And he's like, instead of feeling this competition, he's like, they helped each other Give all it a the choice. time. It's just like, yeah. Give it a choice. What the hell is wrong with the choice? I, I used to go years ago when I drove uh, through towns. And you had a Texaco station there, and a Phillips station there, and a Standard station. You know, you had four different filling stations. That's something I don't understand on a, a business. Well, you can't be too close, or how many? Let the market decide that. If you are going to have a facility that is inviting as far as its environment is concerned, its staff is concerned, and then the product that they offer, if you've got a hold of those three things, you should be all right. And then you want to coast location, location, location. And that's that's something, too, because you want to make it accessible to the majority of people who you think are going to visit. So your message is keep it simple, stupid. Bingo. <laughs> really, it is. Keep it simple. So there you have it. That was my hangout sesh with Wayne. Before I left, though, he gave me a couple of pieces of advice that I think you ought to hear. This first one is for you curious Californians. 
but it actually applies to pretty much anyone who is living in a current adult use legal state. If you're curious if you should get your cannabis recommendation, even though your state is or is about to be adult use, here's what Wayne's got to say about that. <laughs> Let me say, <clears throat> having been the very first patient that got that card and pushed for it, I always get a card. That's how much I believe in the card program. Yeah. That I, I got it for that reason. I like to carry it. So if there's an issue outside that I'm carrying cannabis and uh, somebody stops me, which does not happen, but if it does, here it is. Uh, this is why I'm carrying cannabis. I'll move along. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's important. All right. This next piece of advice is just grade A, top of the line shit, just life in general. Mic drop. I'll give you another piece of advice. Whatever you say or do, feel certain that you can defend that to 12 other people. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Whatever you say or do, feel confident if you have to go to court or something, can I explain this to 12 other people? Yeah. I dig it. That's good advice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Fixed up nice with all those little, little colored lights. You got the records that spin around and round. I'm gonna spin, spin, spin till we get all down. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, produced, edited by the team of Just Joe. Our theme music is by my handsome and fabulous friend Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with his music, check out his latest album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you are buying your music these days. I know he didn't create high time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. If you haven't subscribed, you subscribe. And if you don't know how to subscribe, ask someone younger than you. And if you're tired of hearing me talk about subscribing, tell somebody else. I mean, seriously, it's like the circle of life. Now go get your ass out there and be somebody. <laughs> oh, I love you, man. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.